it is my privilege to exercise the prerogative of His Majesty the King and to open New Zealand's 54th Parliament. It's back. New Zealand is under new management. And this time, it's personal. I don't think I have ever seen anything quite as pathetic as the incoming Prime Minister literally sprinting out the door of Parliament to fly back to Auckland because he had been summoned by Winston Peters. How has he survived when nearly half of his caucus lost their jobs under his leadership? This could well be the most shambolic beginning of any government in New Zealand's history. Why is he still here after squandering and decimating an absolute majority? I say to the members opposite who have pledged to end all COVID-19 mandates, can they name one that's still in place? I hear crickets on the Treasury benches, Mr Speaker. He is actually like an arsonist. He just simply loiters and hangs around at the scene of the crime. Nationals rookie MP James Meagher lent a more constructive tone and set himself apart as one to watch. And so I stand here, floors and all, in the most powerful room in the land. And Mr Speaker, perhaps to some I am a walking contradiction. No part Māori boy raised in a state house by a single parent on the benefit. Members opposite do not own Māori. Members opposite do not own the poor. And as for Te Pāti Māori and New Zealand First, well, let's let them speak for themselves. This government has opened the floodgates of hatred towards Māori. You're here to represent everybody as one people called New Zealanders. The coalition documents read like a manifesto white supremacy and cultural genocide. No more this darn humbug. And you can put the tarmoku on and dance around. And we will not be bullied or stood over by men on that side of the house who embarrass themselves, who ridicule our culture. The voice of Māori. Uh-uh, no you're not. And certainly not someone who is so decolonised he wears a cowboy hat. You're going to see this moko in his hat for a long, long time there, uh, Winston. If you're looking for trouble, you've come to the right place. Wow, that was entertaining. <laughs> Kia ora, I'm Tova O'Brien. Welcome to the pod. It has been a week which has seen protests across the country supporting Māori rights, government departments already amending their names to Te Reo Pākehā first, talk of stripping Te Reo incentives for teachers and public servants, Te Pāti Māori pledging allegiance to Te Tiriti ahead of King Charles, confusion about whether them calling the King Hare Hare is an insult, divisions in national about the government's Māori policy agenda and the Kingitanga calling a national hui for Māori to unite. All this is happening, of course, in the context of the government's plans to explore changes to treaty principles, stripping legislation of references to Te Tiriti and smoke-free changes which will disproportionately harm Māori, among many other things. Shortly we speak to the new Treaty Negotiations Minister, Paul Goldsmith, but first Chair of the Waitangi National Trust and Leader of Northland Iwi, Ngāti Hine. Pitatipine. Thank you very much for speaking with us. This feels like a powder keg of issues which could come to a head at Waitangi next year. I think it's always been a powder keg ever since the 6th of February 1840. And certainly what is coming out of government in the last couple of weeks, uh, which comes as no surprise given the election campaigns Mm. of the three parties concerned, uh, is that in the lead up to Waitangi Day 2024, it becomes an even more combustible powder keg. And and what what could that look like? And I know that this is um, a, a kind of crystal ball gazing exercise, but what could that look like next year on the 6th of Feb? What I know as the chair of the Waitangi National Trust, we want to provide much more light and less heat mm. and to provide a place where as we always have, welcome people, whether they're political parties or otherwise, to come along and talk about nationhood that was envisaged in 1840, particularly given that we're heading towards the bicentennial, 16 years away from the bicentennial of the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi. So uh, while that may be a long burn and there are things that we have to talk about and discuss now, 
I think we have to start casting a much clearer vision and to hear Christopher Luxon and other political leaders casting a much clearer vision of where our country needs to be uh, is essential at this point. There was a kotahitanga o ngā hapu ngāpuhi hui recently and you posted on Facebook that there was a strong vibe of frustration and anger on everyone's lips given what is emanating out of the coalition government in regard to te tiriti. What are people in ngāpuhi saying? Well, in the first instance, uh, te kotahitanga o ngā hapu ngāpuhi met to prepare for the Waitangi Tribunal who are coming to the treaty grounds, the Waitangi treaty grounds this Saturday, to hand over the stage two Waitangi Tribunal report uh, where they sat with the hapu of Ngāpuhi over four long years and held hearings. So that was the purpose of the hui. However, the underlying vibe was one of frustration, anger, and that was last week. Mm. So it's come to this week and it's only going to get worse unless we have some well-considered voices sitting down and creating a pathway forward to have a debate and discussion. Because as I say, there's far too much heat at the moment and it's only going to rise unless people sit down and talk. And who is pouring, to your mind, who is pouring the kerosene on that fire? Is it coming from, from multiple angles or is it predominantly the government which is driving driving that heat? Uh, it is coming from government and in particular from the likes of David Seymour. So uh, some of the comments are, are really uh, not um, providing a pathway to have discussions that we really need early on, like right now, as we lead into Christmas, the New Year's and that January period uh, going into Waitangi Day. What comments in particular are you talking about from David Seymour? I I can't remember the exact words, but he was uh, being really, I thought, condescending and patronising and even cheeky towards what people were trying to express on the streets. Mm. And in the House as well, he called um, Te Pāti Māori and the way that they chose to pledge their oaths called it performative narcissism. Yeah, that's right. Uh, those were some of the words. So uh, what, I, what I know about David Seymour is that particularly the Waitangi Day earlier this year, he was up front. He stood up in the pōwhiri and spoke in te reo Māori. And while people didn't really like a lot of what he said, I thought it was significant that he spoke in te reo. He then stood up on the maho and uh, was a strong part of what we call Ngā Whare Kōrero. So he was standing on the veranda of the Whare Runanga. What we've always said at the Waitangi National Trust is that that represents a voice from the Māori people and the Treaty House uh, represents what was the British and now uh, Tangata Treaty or the Treaty people. So we've always uh, known clearly that the Whare was built so that the two houses could have a conversation. And I, I, I applauded David Seymour for standing up and being part of that debate. And that is what we're trying to create at the Waitangi National Trust, is debate, discussion, but in a very safe way, in a secure way, because there are heightened tensions at the moment and a lot of emotion around, and we want to uh, provide that environment where people can have a good, strong debate and be safe. Which I suppose is also what David Seymour is calling for. He's saying he wants to have a debate. Um, His argument is that every time uh, he tries to further a debate around the principles of the treaty and the like, uh, he gets labelled a racist. The trouble with that is, and I agree with him on the point that every New Zealander needs to have a discussion and debate about what the Treaty of Waitangi actually means for us moving forward. Well, what it meant then and what it means moving towards 2040. The trouble with that is that uh, he's using the words racism and separatism and democracy is at risk. There's a whole lot of social engineering going on and we need to uh, stop being divisive. And he would argue that the other side, the Te Pāti Māori, um, in this case, is using similar language. Yeah, I, I think Te Pāti Māori is responding to well, what I call race-baiting. 
um, and, and look at what's on billboards around the country on the sides of our highways about ending separatism, etc. cetera. Mm. So it just created a really volatile environment. And what we're saying at the Waitangi National Trust is we want to be certainly a key part of putting in place a framework where people can debate and discuss the Treaty of Waitangi and what it means moving towards 2040. And it won't be done through what uh, this coalition government and particularly David Seymour is pushing. And Shane Jones was right to point out, I think, to Party Māori in the protest this week, don't necessarily represent all Māori because Māori, of course, aren't aren't homogenous. But is he perhaps blinkered, Shane Jones and New Zealand First, Winston Peters, are they blinkered to the depth of feeling here? Well, what we're all clear about is that each party has a manifesto. Uh, they promise to do certain things should they get into government. And so they're bound and obligated to push those lines. Underneath it all, Shane Jones is a very respected man up here in Taitokero mm. in terms of Māori language, Māori history, whakapapa, etc. And when he talks about the Māori Party, the Māori Party may be providing some leadership, as is uh, the Kingitanga, but we're talking about all of the Māori people. We're mm. talking about swathes of Māori people who are really frustrated and angry. Neither um, ACT or New Zealand First are happy with the way that the courts and the Waitangi Tribunal have interpreted the principles of the treaty. Shane Jones has said, quote, that it is the role of Parliament to make the laws, not the role of the courts, to follow flights of fancy or indeed to thwart the will of Parliament. Do you think that's happened? Uh, no, I don't. I, I think when we start talking about what is the vision for Aotearoa New Zealand, we need to uh, make the Māori language and the English language a, a very normal part of everyday life so that we, you and I, Tova, can sit down at a cafe and talk in te reo Māori and English at will and practice our tikanga and be the nation that was envisaged. And I always say, when Governor Hobson stood up on the 6th of February after quite a few of the rangatira had signed, he said, he iwi tahi tato, which means we are two people, one nation. So we need to create, I'm not saying he said that, but this is my interpretation of it. He said we need to create a country where we can live together, learn from each other, and grow together. And the Waitangi Tribunal and the judiciary have been looking at the Treaty of Waitangi and Te Whakaputanga 1835, by the way, and mm. this is how they have interpreted it. Uh, New Zealand First, Act, National and other political parties have their manifestos and they are going to push those manifestos to placate those who voted for them and to retain their voter base. Act has, um, of course, secured in its coalition agreement this introduction of a treaty principles bill, which would have the votes to at least go to select committee. What do you think of that of that bill, that concept? Well, the psyche, and I'm not so much talking as the chairman of the Waitangi National Trust, uh, albeit at the Waitangi National Trust, our mission statement is to illustrate the ongoing promise of Waitangi to the world. So when politicians are called the right honourable or honourable, the Treaty of Waitangi was honourable. It wasn't three principles, it was three articles. We interpret it really strongly uh, that the hapu of Ngāpuhi and the people of Taitokero, the Māori people, did not cede sovereignty in 1840. So in 2023 or 2024 and beyond, that requires a conversation about our future, not having things done to us, but having a conversation and working that vision together and how we achieve that vision. And, and removing references of the principles from legislation or replacing them, something that New Zealand First has secured. What are the impacts there? Well, the hard-won gains over many years are going to be lost uh, mm. should that come to pass. And, um, yeah, I, I think it would uh, see what some people uh, interpreting Governor Hobson's talk in 1840 as we are one people and you Māori need to be like us. We will assimilate you so that you only speak English, you only um, follow these protocols and customs, and uh, we've had enough of 
seeing your own. Yeah, I'm slightly getting off track here, but I just I would like to hear your view on what we're hearing that government departments are already moving to English first in terms of their branding and also uh, the government's plans to get rid of incentives for public servants who learn te reo. What do you make of that kind of erasing of te reo Māori from its prominence? Uh, I think it's ludicrous uh, and it's really pandering towards uh, a certain part of New Zealand and and. I think the majority of Aotearoa New Zealand is moving on, uh, but some still want to hold on, and the politicians are pandering towards that small minority. Many, many members are even afraid, and because they don't understand what this is all about, they would rather uh, shun it because they don't understand it. So when the government departments start uh, changing their branding and their language to be only English, I I really think we're moving backwards because, as I say, part of the vision is having Māori language and the English language going together so that everybody can use it. It's now showing itself on television for the reporters, uh, and and it was moving towards normalising te reo Māori, uh, but this takes it backwards. Yeah, and there also there even appear to be divisions, I think, within national over some of these policies. Talking to Tama Portaka this week, the Māori Development and Māori Crown Relations Minister, he told me that we have robust debates every day regarding the impact of government policies on Māori, but the Prime Minister told me conversely that everyone in his government's aligned on those policies. Um, do, you, do you feel like there is enough representation and advocacy for Māori within Cabinet? I'd say not. Uh, I don't know much about some of the individual ministers there. I obviously know Tama Potaka Shane Reti, who's on our Waitangi National Trust board, mm. uh, amongst others. And uh, it wasn't that long ago I was talking to Damien O'Connor, who was obviously a minister in the Labour administration, and he said, Peter, where I came from, or come from, there are literally no Māori. I, I've got no understanding of uh, how Māori people, or what their psyche is, and so coming into government, it's taken me a lot of learning. And he said, and I'll tell you what, one of the people who told me uh, or taught me a lot was Dover Samuels. So if Damien O'Connor is an example of members of parliament coming from different parts of the country who never have never experienced Māori people and, and how we work, uh, my answer to you is no. And as a result, People don't confidently engage because they may feel uncomfortable. Certainly going back to wearing my hat as the Waitangi National Trust Chair, our board and our management want Waitangi Day to be a safe place and to grow as a nation. Members of parliament, cabinet ministers, etc. We really have to embrace this together. And as you mentioned before, um, something enormous happening for Ngāpuhi this week, that final Waitangi Tribunal report being handed over. Paul Goldsmith, I I don't know if he's one of those uh, MPs or ministers that you've had any dealings with. He's the new treaty negotiations minister. Is is he going to have his work cut out for him? Uh, He is going to have his work cut out for him. But I think Chris Finlayson in his book, Yes, Minister, made very, very clear because he tried in vain, as the most successful treaty minister in the history of this country, to get a settlement for Ngāpuhi. And in mm-hmm. his book, he said clearly, there will not be one Ngāpuhi settlement, there will be component parts. So I think Paul Goldsmith should read that book, and particularly that section, um, because Chris Finlayson was very, very good, and then followed on by Andrew Little, who followed the path that Chris mm. had um, put in place, which was component parts of Napo, he would settle their treaty grievances. So yeah. for us, like Ngāti Hine, we're, we're a long way down that road, and so we're really keen to meet with the minister, Paul Goldsmith, to have a status report and continue on with the good work that Andrew Little and his administration had been progressing. And I know how pumped Chris Van Lassen will be when he's listening to this and hears you referencing his book. Because every time I talk to him, he name drops it. It is a brilliant book and I thoroughly recommend everyone reads it. Um, Paul Goldsmith, we've got him on after you, Peter. Do you, do you have a message for him and his government in terms of its direction for Māori? 
Yeah, I think he needs to listen carefully to the people on the ground. Uh, the, certainly the hapu and ngapu, he uh, responded to the previous attempts. And in February 2018, Stephen Joyce got up as the most highest-ranking National Party um, cabinet minister who attended. He got up in front of the Whare Runanga, and I, I can remember you were there, he said the Ngāpuhi settlement was the big one that got away on us. Mm. We do not want a future National Party leader getting up and saying that again. Because uh, what people say up here uh, in Ngāpuhi is, don't poke the bear. Does it feel like the bear has been poked? Uh, it, it really depends on uh, what the coalition talks mm. uh, were about in regard to any mandate negotiations that are going on within Ngāpuhi, and I specifically say within Ngāpuhi because once you start saying Ngāpuhi, it starts mm. lumping us all in together again. Totally, and then, I mean, because Winston Peters, Shane Jones, David Seymour, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're all Ngāpuhi, aren't they? They are, and, and I think there are some good models around the country. Uh, take, for instance, Ngāti Kahungunu in the Hawke's Bay area. They had component parts to their treaty settlement, and that is a really good example of how the hapu of Napo he want to progress. And just finally, Peter, the Prime Minister says it is um, his intention to go to Waitangi next year. He hasn't thought that far ahead yet. How do you think Christopher Luxon and the government will be received at Waitangi? I think depending on what happens today and over Christmas, New Year's, uh, January, because uh, Kingi Tu Heitia has called a meeting on the 20th, uh, on the 20th of January. But mm. that, that's a period where these much more conciliatory talks need to occur uh, so that we defuse any potential. Because as I say, in the, in the best of circumstances, how people get really worked up about how the Treaty of Waitangi to Treaty of Waitangi has not been honoured. So I encourage the Prime Minister and other political leaders to start having those talks now and put the bravado aside and talk in earnest. And um, I, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but when we did talk on the phone earlier in the week, you had said, you know, I asked you the same question, how they'll be received at Waitangi, and you said not not good. Do, do you still feel that way? Yes, I, I still uh, very much feel that way. Uh, but as I also say, uh, we're going to do our dandas to make sure that we follow our tikanga, that we pōwhiri anybody, including the Prime Minister, and make uh, the day and the lead-up to the day, which is, as you know, previous governments spent five days in the area. And I, and I think Northland Taitokero deserves that too, given... Mm. Uh, and I think it would be a good sign for the government to show uh, that they're spending quality time on the ground meeting people, understanding how people are feeling and working with people. So while while there's a risk of things being really inflamed, I think we also have a great opportunity to bring people together and defuse what could be a a, a, a very trying period of time. Mm. Peter, I look forward to seeing you on February the 6th and in the week leading up to it, and I'm always so grateful. It's always just such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for your time. Kia ora Thank you. Paul Goldsmith is many things, a gifted pianist, a second-down black belt in Taekwondo, a former Waitangi Tribunal historian, a biographer predominantly of libertarians. He's a father of four and has been bouncing around Parliament since 2011, ever the victim of the Epsom Cup of Tea Deal to give Act a leg up by National. And he propelled into a different kind of prominence when the brief National Party leadership of 2020 made him Māori to help bolster their lack of diversity on the front bench. And, and obviously Paul, Golds Paul Goldsmith obviously is of, of Ngāti Pūrō. Yeah. Is Paul Goldsmith actually Māori? Paul Goldsmith just told us well, he's not Māori. He just said he's not Māori. Okay, well, I'm going to... Oh. No, 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 I'm not Māori myself. My great-great-grandfather had uh, European wives and Māori wives, and so I've got lots of relatives across the Ngāti Pūrō. I don't claim to be Māori myself. Question number four, the Honourable Paul Goldsmith. Ah, Ngāti Epsom. He also faced a not insignificant backlash over these comments to journalist Finn Hogan. On balance, colonisation was a good thing for Maori. Oh, I think on balance it has been, yes.
Goldie is now Minister Goldie, our new Minister for Justice, Arts and Culture, State-Owned Enterprises, but we are speaking to him on the pod in his capacity as Treaty Negotiations Minister. Kia ora, Minister, welcome. Kia ora. I was mean to you yesterday, I'm sorry. Ah, well, that's that's not unusual, Tova. I mean, that's the, the general approach and I, I'm used to it. Did it's a robust business, politics. You did. You say you didn't have a little moy during the speech from the throne. I was concentrating very hard. Good, like, de- like deep contemplation, deep like thought. Winston Peters once said when that's he right. rested his eyes for a prolonged <laughs> period. Um, you're going to be going into the, the treaty settlement process to help address some of the harms caused by colonisation, yes? Yes, yeah, sure. And I know it has been well poured over in the past, but your comments around colonisation being on balance beneficial or good for Māori. Do you, do you still stand by those comments? Uh, yes. I mean, it's just a simple reality that uh, I think everybody can understand that there um, are many bad outcomes uh, from colonisation in New Zealand, many bad outcomes and also many good ones. Uh, and people can argue about uh, whether the bad ones outweigh the good ones and, and everybody will have a different um, uh, view on that and that's appropriate and that's fine and the historians will uh, judge that and, and different uh, errors will have different conclusions. Uh, what I would say now, of course, is that my job as a Minister of the Crown, as part of the government, is to ensure that we do everything we can to ameliorate and fix and amend the bad outcomes and improve them uh, and also build on the good ones. Uh, and that's my focus. I, 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 we can spend 10 minutes debating about that, but my focus is, is on um, you know, fixing the bad ones and, and moving on. Okay, and what were the good bits for Māori? Oh well, uh, the the modern society that we have in New Zealand, which is uh, you know we've lived in uh, peace for more than a century. Uh, we we live in a, in a, one of the um, longest democracies where we have um, uh, equal citizenship, uh, where um, uh, um, many countries around the world. Uh, striving for the um, many sort of basic um, uh, enjoyments of, of civil life that we enjoy in this country and that's part of the of what we've brought as a nation. And do you think on balance within that, um, that, that that kind of balances out the over-representation for Māori in terms of health outcomes, education outcomes, housing outcomes, etc, etc, etc? Yeah, et like, well, like I say, um, people will uh, have their different impressions. I mean, clearly there are some bad outcomes, clearly there's some good outcomes, uh, and um, everybody will have a different view on that. Uh, all I'm focused on now as Minister is improving the bad outcomes, fixing them, ameliorating the worst outcomes uh, and and focusing on how we can build on uh, a, a situation where down the line people will stand up and, and take a look at it and say, yeah, we're doing well as a country because that's what we want to achieve for all New Zealanders. And you are going to have to wear those comments though, aren't you, in your dealings with Māori leaders. How how are your relationships with, with Iwi and Hapu? Oh, well, I'm uh, pretty good. I've just been, actually, I've just been down to... Uh, um, um, uh, down to the Ministry of Justice, actually, and uh, somebody bowled up to me and said, "You know, you got the same. We've got the same great great granddaddy, uh, Charles Goldsmith." Uh, and um, and everywhere I go, there's there are plenty of connections. Uh, and every, and uh, Maori, of course, like every um, uh, group of New Zealanders, uh, have they don't think the same. Um, there's a wide variety of views uh, within um, uh, people, uh, and so some people are supportive of what National is trying to achieve. Uh, and uh, very focused on on economic prospects and and um, you know making sure kids go to school, uh, and there are others who wouldn't be so keen on on where we stand, and so it's it's just as you'd expect. We'll talk a bit a bit more about that in a minute. But what meetings have you had so far with Iwi and Hapu Manafinua? Uh, well, we're we're in the process. Uh, my um, treaty negotiations team to Arafiti uh, uh, lining up uh, the meetings that we're going on. We've had, I mean. Peter, Para, uh, Peter has reached out, for example, as one, Peter Tipanay, and, and uh, so we're going to be seeing him before Christmas. and uh, So we'll work our way through it steadily uh, over the next um, a few months. And so uh, we're, right at the moment, we're, we're a week or two into our government and we're all uh, you know reading through reams of material, uh, preparing for question time and all that sort of stuff. And so we'll work our way through that. So no meetings yet? No with... formal meetings with any claimants, no. Okay. How important is, is Whanaungatanga in processing settlements? Uh, well, uh, look, every um, absolutely um, understanding 
the the um, achievements. Well, every element of the treaty principles are important. And of course, they are going to be highly debated uh, by our good friend uh, David Seymour and, and the legislation that I'm responsible for, and how they are interpreted and how people see them is going to be important. Uh, is Tonga a treaty principle? Well, it's one of one of the various. Well, are you are you trying to do me a, doing a quiz on my my Maori no, language? No, 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 I'm not. I'm, I'm literally just talking about relationships. How important relationships and yeah. trust and course, goodwill is and and progressing treaty settlements. Yeah. Okay. And 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 do you feel then, as a government, that you've got off to a good start with Maori in terms of those relationships? Well. Um, uh, well, it, it, it's been um, it depends where you uh, get your impression from. As if it's from um, uh, some of the media coverage, if you if you take your impression from uh, Te Pāti Māori's approach, um, it, it's uh, it's been a, a rocky start. Uh, like I say, um, right across the board, there's a wide variety. Do you think it's just Te Pāti Māori and the the media? Though? Oh no no! Well, I mean, look, look, the, 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 I suppose whenever you the change kingitang, the kingitanga is yeah. organising a hui, right? Yeah, yeah. Whenever you change a government, um, there's going to be a, a period of uncertainty while people figure out what's going on. I, I can give this assurance to your listeners uh, that uh, our government uh, is very focused on uh, representing the needs and aspirations of all New Zealanders, um, including Māori, of course, uh, and uh, we're going to work uh, in our best faith. And, and so, you know, as a treaty negotiations minister, you know, when, when I talked about, you know, trying to um, ameliorate some of the bad outcomes of, of our history and, and build on the good ones, uh, there's... I have a specific role in terms of treaty negotiations minister and in, in, in uh, rectifying uh, grievances over treaty breaches. Uh, and that's an important part of the process. Uh, but, of course, it's much broader than that in, in the sense of you know how we deal with uh, law and order and to reduce the number of victims of crime who are Māori uh, overrepresented uh, as victims of crime is, is equally important, as is you know, ensuring kids get to school, as is uh, creating a strong economic framework. And so we as a government want uh, all New Zealanders to thrive and succeed and so um, that's very much our focus and so there's so much that we can find um, uh, that is um, th- th- where there is agreement uh, within um, the many iwi and hapu and uh, 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 Māori organisations across the countries and we'll be looking to do that. And I wasn't going to do this but just based on those comments previously and I know that other politicians like the prime, previous Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern was asked these questions. Do, do you know the the articles of the treaty? Yes. Okay. yes, yes. Well the first one is ultimately around uh, governance uh, and kawanangatanga. Uh, second one is around um, uh, the the um, uh, the the um, the chieftainship or the, the, the rights of, of Māori to have the access to their or control over their possessions. Uh, and the third one is around Kotahitanga, the, 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 um, uh, we're all one New Zealanders. And, and look, it's absolutely, I mean, uh, what surprises me is some you know, people are surprised that there is a, a bit of tension in the, in the relationship. It shouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's a, it's a massive um massively difficult thing we're trying to achieve in in the sense of um, honouring the treaty relationship uh, while also preserving that core fundamental human right which is equal uh, citizenship, equal voting rights and equal um, uh, ability for people to feel like they are valued equally in our society. And, and there's a tension between those things and, mm. and trying to resolve that uh, isn't easy. And we were very critical of the previous government. Um, if you take the equal voting rights, uh, that they moved down a different path at local government with the Naitahu Bill and tried to do it with Rotorua without actually ever explaining to New Zealanders why they no longer think equal voting rights at local government uh, is appropriate. Yeah, I think and, there's and, definitely and, been faults on both, both and so, sides. And, and, and that has created a lot of um, uh, anxiety and tension. And so uh, and w- again, the way on, we on would go about that is to is, is to try and be open and explain, you know, this is what we're trying to do and it's not easy uh, and there's going to be very, very different views across the spectrum about what is uh, right and appropriate. And so that's what we're going to go through in, in, in good faith. Would you have preferred, though, that the coalition agreements look different in terms of the policies that will be impacting Māori? Uh, well, I mean, I... As a You're the one that has to go out there and have that relationship, right? Yeah, so, yeah. would you have preferred that the coalition no, agreements no, well, look different? Uh, well, I'm very happy with the coalition agreements. They're, they're something that we worked on. I was, you know, intimately involved in that. And um, uh, um, uh, the National Party got 
you know, thirty eight percent of the vote or whatever, and and um, the other parties are, you know, effectively make up nearly thirty percent of of the votes of the government, and and so it's absolutely appropriate that there should be give and take, and and we should reflect, uh, you know, the the um, agendas of all the parties, and so this is a genuine three party coalition, which is you know, which is new, and it's it's quite a you know, it's a big deal, and mm. it's uh, taken quite a lot to get through. Are policies like your plan to uh, to forward a treaty principles bill to select? committee. Yep. Is that helpful in terms of your relationship building with Māori? Uh, well, it's it, it, uh, again, there will be a wide variety of views on that. There are some... Asking for, asking for your view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, I mean, there'll be a wide variety of views within um, uh, New Zealanders, including Māori, about whether that's a good thing or, or not. What about this uh, one New Zealander, Paul Goldsmith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's my job just to get on with it and do it. Okay. Uh, and, do, you think, uh, do you think it's going to be helpful? Uh, well, if we, we'll do our best to ensure that it is. Um, and, you know, you want to uh, air these issues, uh, but you do it in a, in a way that's respectful uh, and uh, where people feel like they have an opportunity. Of course, we haven't committed to um, uh, progressing that bill past uh, um, the select committee phase, and, and um, uh, let alone to a, um, a referendum. And so, but you know, we'll, we'll do what the coalition agreement says. And uh, what impact would changing the the principles in legislation? What impact would that have in treaty negotiations, if any? Uh, uh, well, uh, well, I mean, we've made it very clear around that any changes to uh, or clarification around treaty principles that they wouldn't have any effect on existing treaty settlements. You know, and the references to the, the treaty and other legislation, though, as well, because I think settlements are moving. Um, more recent settlements have made a bigger play of, of value statements, which are more important to Iwi and Hapu now, right? Uh, yes, and, and again, that's all part of that tension of, of how do you honour the treaty and also um, you know, maintain those fundamental human rights. Uh, of um, you know equal say and in in the world around you and so um, Gosh, but, I think but, a lot of Maori don't feel like they have equal well, say when yeah, they're well, so people, overly represented in in all the wrong statistics. Uh, well, and that's why we're going to be absolutely focused on proving all those. Uh, but you know we're, you know we're very crystal clear that treaty settlements have been made uh, need to be honoured. Uh, yeah. And otherwise we'll, we'll, we'll be going back. I'm, look, I'm looking again. I'm looking ahead to the the settlements that you're going yeah. to be progressing. And MPTPN says that the hard one the reviewing of the references. Of the treaty yep. and legislation that the hard won gains over many years are going to be lost. Uh, well, time will tell on that. Uh, what we're trying to achieve is is uh, a move to, to move away from time will uh, tell. So it could. Well, no, no. no. Well, uh, move away from what is is um, a vague references to more um, uh, precise references. And you know, one of the most important um, elements of of the rule of law that. Um, uh, New, that New Zealand benefits from is is uh, some certainty uh, around um, w- where the law stands. Also, on, that the issues. courts are the the yeah, bodies sure. that interpret the uh, laws uh, that uh, of Parliament of makes. It, I think but, but, Jeffrey Palmer told us it would be a kind of gross concentration of power if Parliament is also interpreting its own laws, which is what that Treaty Principles Act. No, 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 no. It's a, it's about Parliament being clear about what it means, uh, and that's 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 not. There's no no issue with that, and and so uh, where Parliament isn't clear what it means, then the courts have more room for interpretation, and so. Um, that's just a simple matter of Parliament being clear. And presumably you will be driving both of those pieces of work, the yes. treaties. Yeah. Yes. How does that sit with you? Yeah, well, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be busy. I mean, fortunately, um, you know. A bit of tail wagging uh, Chris, dog in there for you. Chris Luxon, of course, you know, coming from McDonald's background, he, he went for a combo uh, mm-hmm. and he's got me and uh, Tama Portaka who uh, brings uh, an enormous set of skills as well. And so I think the, uh, the combination of us, uh, the two of us, is good because, uh, we, you know, we've got very different backgrounds, different um, understandings of the world. He, he, of course, is steeped within uh, Maoridom and so uh, it's it'll, but we'll both be working very. Carefully he certainly on that. pointed when I was talking to him earlier this week. He was pointing to divisions within the National Party, saying you know, he couldn't say that he backed 100% all of those policies that are affecting Māori and those coalition agreements. There are robust debates every day that those policies still need to be built on, partnership built into them. Uh, well, we're, we're all uh, aligned as cabinet ministers, uh, but we, of course, you have debates. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, uh, and um, so, and uh, we're going to work closely together. I, you know, I really like Tumba. We've, we've already been doing a few runs around the waterfront. I'm com- concerned that he's big and tall and lean and fast. And he does uh, those push-ups with the yeah, claps yeah, in the yeah, middle. Yeah, but he's... maybe less running, more going out there and meeting <laughs> Iwi and Hapu. Minister. Well, well, we'll be absolutely getting into that, and we're, we're looking forward to. And we're, we're, you know, I mean. 
don't think for a moment there's going to be a lot of meetings uh, uh, over the next little while, and I'm looking forward to the discussion. One uh, that you could attend this weekend, Ngāpuhi receiving its final stage of the second report from the Waitangi Tribunal up yep. in, in Waitangi. Will you attend that? No, I won't be attending that, but I, I think we will have some representation there from our uh, local MPs. Cool. And will Crown land in Northland be returned to Ngāpuhi, as the tribunal has recommended? Oh, well, we'll be going through Crown the treaty land. negotiations with Ngāpuhi and, and uh, all those sorts of things will be considered. We're, uh, you know, we're not um, you know, in full agreement, and the previous government wasn't in full agreement with uh, those Waitangi recommendations there, but um, you know, that's all part of the, uh, the desire we've got to try and uh, settle with Ngāpuhi, which is obviously one of the biggest uh, challenges that we've got in the um, treaty negotiation space and, uh, and ultimately, um, uh, you know, you need two willing parties to get these things done. And, and the report also acknowledges or recommends that uh, that changing the constitution to acknowledging Apuhi never ceded sovereignty when mm. it signed the treaty. Are you willing to, I don't know, prepare don't, constitutional we, 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 changes? We, no, we don't agree with that. Okay. Are you willing to have conversations about what sovereignty looks like in the 21st century to perhaps regress uh, that part of the tribunal's uh, recommendation? Well, well the, look, I mean, it's... Um, uh, yes, we always have conversations, but um, you know there, there's some pretty basic bedrocks uh, for us in terms of um, you know equal citizenship and uh, the you know the a constitution that sort of refers to those fundamental human rights of uh, all New Zealanders having an equal say in who governs them. Uh, and so, um, uh, yep. The, uh, so, uh, like I say, there is the, the, there's tension in that discussion mm. uh, around honouring the treaty and also maintaining those rights. But we're very firm that we're not going to um, move. Away from a, a, a position where all New Zealanders uh, have an equal say. Um, Pe- it's very important. Yeah, Peter Tepinier also told us that you're going to have your work cut out for you. Are you going to follow in the footsteps of Chris Finlayson and Andrew Little before you, who uh, acknowledged that there will be no one Ngāpuhi settlement, right? It will be in component parts. Is that the path you're going to, to tread? Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I look, I'm not going to sort of lay out our, all our strategies and plans uh, uh, here, but, um, you know, we're, we're open to um, that process uh, as best it We've got to we've got to try. We'll do our very best to make it work, uh, and that, that's you know the prime minister's clear that he wants me to get on with it, and and so we're, we're going to we'll do our very best on behalf of New Zealanders to try and uh, get some resolution on on what has been a very difficult um, uh, set of negotiations over a long time. Do you think that a lot of Maori in New Zealand expect to be treated differently? Uh, like everything, um, uh, Maori don't all think the same on any issue. There, yeah, but do you, there, there do are you su- there think are some a significant that, number of Maori expect to be treated differently, to enjoy special consultation above and uh, beyond that to which others um, are entitled? Well, like I say, there's a variety. There, 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 there is some. There is one line of thought which says um, uh, to honour the treaty uh, means uh, 50-50 decision making between the treaty partners, uh, and we, we don't agree with that principle because it, it's hard to reconcile that with equal voting rights in, in a modern democratic society. Uh, so there are some who advance that, and, and we fundamentally don't agree with it. But you wrote that in a 2009 report, that you think <laughs> a significant number of Māori expect to be treated differently, to enjoy special consultation, consultation above and beyond that to which others are entitled. Do you believe that? When did I write that? You wrote that in 2009. Ah, okay, well, yeah. So I, look, I haven't read, I can't remember what I wrote back in 2009. Yeah, but do you stand by it now? Uh, well, well, I think there are, like I say, as I, as I expressed, there is a, a school of thought within some um, uh, who, who think uh, honouring the treaty requires 50-50 decision-making uh, in a whole range of things. And I, I don't agree with that. Tre- you see that a special treatment. Well, I mean, in a, in, a strictly, in a strictly equal voting rights scheme of things, uh, if you apply that logic to um, the Rotorua local government bill, which the previous government tried to do, which meant that Māori votes would weigh, have greater weight, uh, then that is a move away from a very basic principle that we don't agree with. I suppose with. if your starting point, though, is an agreement in 1840 is breached violently during the 1850s to 1870s. It's not actually advantage, is it? Not giving advantage or special treatment. It's about trying sure. to redress some of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that is the whole purpose of the treaty negotiations okay. pro- process, which is, you know, you know and, and I think you know, your listeners should 
acknowledge um, uh, that it is the national governments uh, that have made the most progress in this area in mm-hmm. terms of settling those treaty settlements. Yeah. Uh, particularly, I you know, started off with Sir Douglas Graham uh, and uh, and Chris Finlayson, and and uh, I mean, obviously, I hope uh, that I will, as minister, be able to carry on that tradition. Uh, oh, I've got the twirly fingers from talk, your press less, secretary less, is less telling talk. me right, your press okay. secretary is telling me to wrap. So, just final <laughs> question: You also yes. wrote in that piece as these heightened expectations provoke uneasiness amongst other sections of the community, great attention is bound to result. So do you think Māori demanding special treatment is to blame for racial tensions in no, Aotearoa? No, and I don't want to... Look, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm accountable as a, as a Minister of the Crown for things that I say uh, today, not what my, I sort of wrote before I went to politics. Um, so you don't stand by that? Well, I, 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 look, I just haven't read it for 15 years, so I don't, I don't I, you know, I need to see the context. All I'd say is that, um, uh, you know, in any modern society, uh, there's a, absolutely uh, everybody's free to express their views and there's a wide variety of views. Uh, and um, like, like everything in a democratic society, People um, uh, want to uh, understand and know that they'll have uh, an equal opportunity to decide who governs them uh, and important matters affecting their lives. Now, there is a tension there, of course, that exists um, uh, between how we go about honouring the treaty. And so uh, all I would say is I recognise that 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 is actually a very difficult thing to try to navigate our way through. And I think one of the things that most New Zealanders uh, are proud of and should be proud of is the fact that, you know, we genuinely work at it. Uh, And um, I I can certainly give this commitment that we will continue to genuinely work at it. and uh, recognise uh, the diversity of views, uh, but but also try and, um, fr- from our perspective, stand firm on on that core belief that fundamental human rights that New Zealand has signed up to and has been one of the bedrocks of what the successful society are that we are today is based on uh, an equal sense of citizenship. And I would just like to point out to your press sec that it wasn't me that gave a two-minute answer at the end of that interview <laughs> that pushed us even further over. Minister, no con- trouble. Congratulations. Thank, Thank you. you so much for coming in. Thank you Pleasure. for speaking with us. I really appreciate your time. Good. For a government that purports to want to govern for all New Zealanders, National wants a reasoned debate on the Treaty Act and has done more for Māori than anyone, New Zealand first, the coalition sure does have a funny way of showing it. There seems to be a lot of telling and not a lot of listening, or if they are listening, listening to a minority of New Zealanders who are fuelled by fear. A fear, as former Prime Minister Jim Bolger once put it, that if Māori do well, somehow the rest of the country will do poorly. And let's not forget, in all the white heat of the debate, division and derision, that Māori are not doing well. They are still at the bottom of the barrel in every statistic. You can argue, as David Seymour often does, that sure, some Māori are doing poorly, but others are doing remarkably well, thank you very much, and that some non-Māori are really struggling too, that everyone at the bottom needs to be lifted up. And sure, everyone does, but statistics and history, actual facts, tell us that Māori are still being shafted. I know it's triggering for some apostles of one treaty, one nation, but colonisation is the reason demographically that an entire race of people, Aotearoa's first people, are overrepresented below the poverty line, in material hardship, low-income households, unemployment, in state care and prisons, on the housing register and with health and education outcomes. And it's important to note this is not a left-right issue. That colonial record is part of the reason we have whānau order, established under a national-led government with Te Pāti Māori. It's part of the reason we have kōhanga reo, established with government funding under a Rob Muldoon-led national government. And here, let me quote again from former National Prime Minister Jim Bolger on this podcast last month. Demonstrably, Māori are still on the wrong side of history at various times, and there are figures that demonstrate that. It's not complex, it's not a political argument, it's just a statement of fact and we need to work on that. There's faith to be grasped from National's new Māori Development Minister, Tama Pōtaka, when he says of the coalition's policy agenda affecting Māori that, quote, there are some policies that have yet to form and some of them leave a lot of room to build into partnership. Also from David Seymour saying ACT wants to devolve service provision, empowering support from within communities, services like Fano Order, And from Winston Peters in his first speech back in Parliament, proudly celebrating his record for Māori. And some of us have done far more for Māori than you'll ever do. Who settled the Central North Island tribes, 14 Ewe 
settlement. Who settled that? Right? The Maori Wardens. Who gave them the start? The Maori Women's Welfare League. Mount Hikurangi. I could be here all day what we've done for Maori. There's hope of a will there. But so far, under this new government, it is not borne out. Prioritising scrubbing the reo from government departments, talk of ditching incentives for teachers and public servants to learn Māori, pushing health agendas that public health academics and doctors tell us will mean more Māori die sooner. The upshot is, talking to friends, family, strangers at functions who voted for National, these policies being prioritised under this government are not reasons they twice ticked blue. I'm Pakia. I don't know what it feels like to be Māori right now, and there's definitely no one single feeling. Both Shane Jones and, and Debbie Ngāruapaka are right when they say the other doesn't represent the authentic voice of Māori. Like everyone, every Māori person thinks and feels for themselves independently and has their own kaupapa. But demographically, as a population, Māori are worse off. And democratically, as a country, we cannot accept that that's OK. No Andrea Vance this week because she's already on her summer holidays after a gruelling yet rewarding year as National Affairs Editor for The Post and Sunday Star Time. So we will go straight to the beehive buzz with our ever-brilliant political editor, Luke Malpass. Lukey, welcome. Good morning, Tova. It's been a bit of a week, hasn't it? But throw forward to what we can expect in the in the next week. The government's already working hard to repeal a string of laws introduced by the previous administration. What's it going to get across the line next week? So I think there'll be a few things introduced into the House next week. Um, first one will be changes to the Reserve Bank Act to tighten the monetary, the Reserve Bank's remit back to um, just straight price stability instead of full employment and um, to sort of focus the bank a bit more. And they're also going to make some other technical changes. Um, I don't think they want anyone from Treasury sitting on the Monetary Policy Committee and some stuff like that. Mm. They're going to repeal Labor's uh, replace two acts that replaced the Resource Management Act and to go back to the Resource Management Act before going to replace that with something else in the next few years. So <laughs> so they're going to, they're going to try and do that. I feel that. like that bloody thing is just a forever ping pong between every changing government. People have tried to reform it for 30 odd years since it's, since it's been in action, <laughs> just sort of hasn't, hasn't happened. So um, the clean car discount mm. and legislation to get rid of that will come in. Now, of course, there's two sides to the clean car discount. Obviously, there's a subsidy if you get an EV or a hybrid or a PHEV, but also there's a penalty that you have to pay a basically clean car tax. Uh, if you're bringing in a petrol diesel vehicle. so The so-called ute tax. Yeah, the so-called ute tax. So EVs will get more expensive where you won't get a government cash rebate. And um, and uh, if you're buying a ute or just a petrol vehicle, they'll get cheaper. That one's particularly interesting because that will change by December 31. That'll be gone. Wow, that's so quick, isn't it? And it was interesting, I thought, yesterday hearing the Governor-General, who is you know, the King's representative mm. in New Zealand, doing the speech from the throne, which is written by the, the governing parties, but referring to things like the Ute tax, and there's been a bit of criticism there as well that perhaps that speech from the throne was written with a slightly more political tenor than it has been in the past. Oh, I don't think so. They're all, they're all pretty political. It's always one of the funny things, both here and actually when the Queen used to do it in the UK, you know, she used to read out the most hilarious things. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, well, I don't know if this is really the Queen's view, but um, uh, sort of depends who the uh, parliamentary uh, you speech, know, speech writer is, I guess. Yeah, that's, yeah. One, one does not have views. Um, and, Lukey, <laughs> th- this is a bit cheeky because we normally ask Andrea for her winners and losers for the week. Can, can I get your thoughts? Uh, look, I mean, I think, I think winner for the week is probably Luxon. Mm-hmm. You know, started off. He's in charge. It's quite interesting. He looks so much more relaxed now he's in the job. It's like, I've got a real job now. I know how to manage stuff. I'm going to crack on and do it. Obviously, time will tell how effective he is with that. But but he genuinely just seems a lot more chilled out. And of course, like the government's changed. I guess the losers are the political left, the five stages of grieving. They're, gonna, <laughs> they're, they're already well underway. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a line in the speech yesterday where the Governor-General uh, said, oh, basically, there's too many people on benefits. There's too many people living off the efforts of others. And you could see a lot, uh, you know, a bunch of people in the Labour Greens sort of part of things, putting their hands in their heads and this sort of thing. And so it's going to be a months and years long process for the losers to come to terms with this, as it was for the National Party um, after 2017. 
Yeah, totally. I thought that that, that kind of photo essay of Chloe Swarbrick tearing oh, her hair out, head in hands. Yeah, yeah, wasn't it, wonderful. Was, um, it was very telling. <laughs> the one thing I would say about your winner, Chris Luxon, mm. and and I agree, he's had a good week. He's finally got his kind of feet under the desk where he's had, yeah, I mean, there's been elements of good and bad. But I thought that speech that he delivered, his first speech in the parliament, um, and this was something that a couple of the guys in the press gallery said, you're not the leader of the opposition anymore. Step into that more prime ministerial statesman role. He was just—he spent a lot of that speech, and it is a long speech, 30 minutes, attacking Chris Hipkins and the Labour Party rather than celebrating the successes or that's, the plans that's, that's, that the that's national government's true. about to embark on. No, no, that's, that's a very fair criticism and very valid, I think. And it, I mean, one of the things, I guess, for Christopher Luxon is the House has never been his strength. I think he's, he's given one very good speech in the House, and it was in response to Zelensky in late 2022. And basically, he's, oh. <laughs> he's pretty, you know, that was really good. And it's notable because basically, he, you know, he goes in, he gives a work yeah. life performance. He had some quite funny lines in this thing yesterday, but he oh, struggled hilarious. to deliver them, <laughs> you know. Um, so it'll be quite interesting to see how he grows into kind of that more parliamentary role as the prime minister. Because I think up to now, it's been something that he's, he's regarded as sort of something that he kind of has to do. And he likes being really good at everything. So it'll irk him that he's not good. So you want to get better. But I think it's also been a bit of, well, I have to do this and there's no votes here. Whereas now as Prime Minister, you're not going out looking for votes, really. For the first half of your term, votes are going to be by delivering what you say, what you said you were going to, you know? Yeah, all right. Well, we'll grab our popcorn. We will watch and wait. Luke Malpass, always a great pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, no worries, David. I'm always interested to hear from you too. Please flick me an email, tova at stuff.co.nz. And producer Chris, kia ora, how are you? Kia ora, Tova. How are you? Good. I can hear your eyebrows moving. <laughs> I was told, uh, for, the, for the listeners, I, I'm, I'm an old guy. I'm a newspaper guy. So moving into podcasts was quite a development career-wise. And I've got a very monotonous voice. And I was given some advice that moving your eyebrows up and down Changed your intonation. And so if you ever sporadically hear me <laughs> laughing during the feedback section, it's because I'm watching. I'm trained on Chris's eyebrows. The roller coaster of intonation that we get from you, Chris, I love all of your tones. What have you pulled from the mailbag for us this week? Well, Callum got in touch to say he was very moved by last week's episode of the podcast on the government's vault fast on smoke-free legislation. He writes... I was especially heartbroken by your interviews with Potato Clark and Janet Hook, which provided a devastating portrait of the human cost of these repeals. It was great to hear such a range of voices and especially refreshing to hear from our young people who are so often left out of these debates. Callum continues, I would like to redouble your calls for Christopher Luxon and his ministers to sit down for an interview with you. And speaking of addictive substances, nicotine... I am absolutely hooked on your podcast and really appreciate all the balanced, thoughtful journalism that you and your team put together. Well, that is terribly kind, Callum. Thank you very much. Thank you for your email and um, sorry for your new addiction, but we're, <laughs> we're chuffed about it. Um, yes, it was it was really important for us, I think, to, uh, well, I know, to include uh, Portato's perspective in particular, given the smoke-free laws were aimed in part at, at stopping young people from smoking before they started. And to your point on the Prime Minister... Callum, you might want to listen to next week's episode. We will finally, the Tova podcast is finally getting Christopher Luxon on the pod, uh, the Prime Minister, as you have never heard him before. What's next, Chris? Well, like the government, we're sticking with smoking. Jess writes, I'm really enjoying the podcast and how in-depth you've gone on issues like the public service and smoking laws. I wanted to share my thoughts as a former smoker vape. I've been vape-free for about six months, but the election and this new government have made me really want to smoke. Their new announcement about repealing the smoke-free laws has made me decide to never buy cigarettes under this government. I don't want to help them funnel money directly back to the wealthy by paying excise tax, so I won't be, no matter how much their antics make me crave one. And don't... Don't do it, Jess. Whatever you do, do not pick up that vape or that durry. I had a shitty week last week and I started, um, accidentally slipped back into vaping. It's only been uh -oh. a few days and it is, uh huh? Uh oh. 
Oh yeah, yes. Oh, oh, it's horrible, and it's and it's really hard to kick. It's already really hard to kick, so don't do it. Um, and just yeah, fun fact: Treasury docs show that in the 22-23 financial year, 1.67 billion dollars in excise was collected on tobacco. So yeah, it would leave an enormous hole. Those those smoke-free laws. I think it was down from. 2 billion in 2018, 2019. So we are tracking down, but still an enormous amount of money. Mm. Only two bits of feedback this week, Tova. We're very conscious that this episode is quite a long one, but it is about one of the defining issues of this parliament, I think. Uh, we get loads of feedback, of course, and we want it from all sorts of people. We want constructive conversation. I had some nice feedback in, around Did Parliament you? this week. Yeah, I bumped into James Meager, who um, we mentioned some of his speech earlier in the yeah. the pod. He's being touted as a future leader of the National Party, and he said that he drives from, he's a new Rangitata MP, he drives from Ashburton to Christchurch, and it's the perfect length for that drive. Um, so he's a fan, and also Fletcher Tabato, he's, um, he was kicking about the Parliament. He's a, a former New Zealand First MP, he's been listening, and he was into it. So thank you all for uh, for listening. In the Beltway and beyond. Indeed. Thank you. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? You have been listening to Tova, hosted and produced by me, Tova O'Brien. There's a new episode every single Thursday and you can listen to them all at stuff.co.nz slash Tova or wherever you get your podcasts. If you follow us on your favourite podcast app, you will get the latest episode automatically and keep an eye on the feed as well for bonus shortcasts. Thank you to our amazing production team, Aaron Darman, audio editor extraordinaire Connor Scott and our executive producer, Chris Reed. Most of all, thanks to you for listening. A week is a long time in politics. Anything could happen. It probably will. We got you. Kakite. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz/support.